All right, Shavosai, good morning. Let us begin a beautiful daf ahead of us today. Begin by thanking our sponsor, our Tamil Torah sponsors for the month of Av, Paul and Kathy Pollock, for dedicating the Sherman Trushos this month in honor of their grandchildren, Tikva, Esther, Simcha, Abigail, Milana, Milicenta. May they grow to become the best version of themselves. Daf Yomishir in the Schus of Rafua Shlima for Yehuda Ben Michal. And our week of learning sponsors, Jeff and Karen Cohn, in creation of the architect of Karen's mother, Mrs. Clara Axman. We hope that in the merit of our Tamatora, all of the Neshamas will have an Aliyah, the families in the Chaman, all those who need a Rafua should have one together with Kol Chole Yisrael. Because with that, let us begin with a lot to do today. A beautiful daf out of us today. Today's daf is Memdalit, 44. And we are picking up the merit Hashem on Mem Gimel on the days 43b. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 15 lines up from the bottom. So if you remember again, in yesterday's daf, we were speaking about the idea, we were introduced to the Mishnah on Amid Beis, where the Mishnah was talking about essentially the idea about at what point in time does a father remain entitled to collect his daughter's ksuba. So the Mishnah, the Mishnah, the Mishnah highlighted in my focus between the Tanakhama and Rabbi Yehuda. Now, the Mishnah actually, interestingly enough, was set up as dealing with two marriages. Two marriages. The first one from which she was divorced, the second one from which she was widowed. Okay, the Gemara explained why it is that we have that particular setup. But here's what's interesting. What's interesting is the Mishnah seemed to indicate to us that the Ksuba obligation is intact in some in some form, already from Erison. That, that was the takeaway from the Mishnah, which is quite interesting, and the Gemara is going to analyze that a little bit more. So the Gemara asks the question, At what point in time is the Ksuba collectible? Now, what does that mean? If you look at Rashi, Rashi almost right across, so Rashi points out that we're going to clarify this point as well. Even though from the Mishnah, it sounds like that from Erisin, there may be a Ksuba obligation. We know that in fact, the Ksuba obligation is really only going to begin from the time that the Ksuba is written. And I will say, this goes back to something you've already alluded to, and we'll get into greater depth in a little bit, not a little bit, but later on in this Masechta. When we think about a Ksuba, what do we think about? What do you think about? A document, a document called the Ksuba. You sit down at the Chassan's dish, you write the Ksuba. We're going to see that the concept of Ksuba or the obligations of a Ksuba could potentially exist even independent of a document. In fact, we're going to see that there were communities that never wrote Ksuba documents. They never wrote documents. But Lamaisa, the Ksuba obligation still remained intact. We're going to discuss that a little bit. So the Gemara is going to point out over here as follows. What we're really asking, really drilling down to over here is as follows. The power of a ksuba is that a ksuba is a debt. Right? The man gets married. What does he owe to his wife? In a nutshell? Well, like, everything. everything. Right? Well, well said. Right? Everything. Right? Everything. So the mice, again, in fact, we're gonna, we'll talk about this as well. The power of a ksuba is such that it encumbers everything, even items that the husband will acquire after the marriage, which is unique, only applies to ksuba and nothing else. The other part of the ksuba is because the husband owes everything to his wife, his entire estate is encumbered. Is encumbered. So there's a lien 
against his entire estate in order to satisfy the ksuba. So the Gemara says over here, essentially, let's say husband dies, and now wife wants to collect her ksuba. Let's say for argument's sake, over the course of marriage, the husband sold off every single piece of property. She now has the right to go ahead and extract property from purchasers in order to go ahead and satisfy the ksuba debt. So the shaila is, as Rashi points out over here, from what point in time does she have the ability to extract items sold by the husband? Is it from the time of Erison? Is it from the time of Misuin? Is it from the date of Miksuva? So that's the Shaila. Very interesting. Rav Huna says, the Mona Masayim, I will say, what does Mona Masayim represent? Mona Masayim represents the 100 or two, 200 or 100, which is the cork suva, right? If it's a first marriage, so then that suva is worth 200 zos. If it's a second marriage, that suva is worth 100 zos. So Rav Huna says, Iker suva, the primary part of the suva, is collectible from Eris. The, in other words, the lien on the husband's estate for the Iker Ksuva is there as of Erisin. Tosefes. What's Tosefes? What's Tosefes? Additional Nas. I will say now by Ashkenazim, we don't really do this. By Sartan, even today, they still do this, where they will write into the Ksuva additional amounts. What additional amounts? Whatever you want it to be. Let's say the, the Chassan is fabulously wealthy and he wants to promise his wife the world so he can go ahead and write as much. So Rafuna makes this interesting distinction. The Iker Ksuva is collectible as of Erisin and any additional amounts over Nisuin, right, by Nisuin. So therefore, I will say, when the wife comes to collect the Ksuva, when she's coming to collect Iker Ksuva, she has a lien against her husband's estate and can go ahead and repossess property from purchasers to satisfy the Iker Ksuva as of the date of Erisin, Tosefes Nisuin. Ravasi and Ravasi said no. Ravasi said no. The date, for the, for, in other words, when it comes to Ksuva, the lien against the husband's estate is only as of Misuin. Only, excuse me, only as of Misuin, and that applies to both amounts. Iker Ksuva as well as Tosefes. Did Rafuna really say this? So interesting case. Watch the following case. Rachel's married to Ruvain, and Rachel produces two ksuvas. Two ksuvas. Ksuva number one is worth 200 zuz, and ksuva number two is, is worth 30. Oh, so before you go on, take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, Shavuot said, I want to point something interesting out over here. When is the Ksuva being written? When, when, when is it being written? It's being written by Pashtos at the time of Misuin. That's when it's being written. As I mentioned before, there's a concept, however, that the obligation of Ksuva is Chal by Erosin. So in other words, what you, have, what you have over here essentially is as follows. You have a lien that is created as of the time of Erosin, but a document that is dated as of the time of Nisuin. Just to go back for just a moment, Surah of Asi, so again, Rav Huna therefore says, Rav Huna therefore says, she could collect Iker Ksuva as of the date of Erison, 
and Tosefes as of the date of Nisuin. That's Rav Huna. Ravaski essentially says, essentially what happens over here is she forgives. The, she has the lien as of the time of Erison. Then once she gets that ksuva with a date in it, she has a document, she is mocheles on that earlier lien. She forgives it. She forgives it because now she has a document. A document is solid. A document has a date. A document is a star. And therefore she forgives the earlier lien. Because of that, according to Rav Asi, both the Tosefes, the Iker and the Tosefes are collectible as of Nisuin, which is the date written in the Ksuba. Good. So now, what says goodbye there? Omi Amar Rafunach, did Rafunach really say this? So, Itmar, Itmar, Hotsia, I love Shtei Ksubos. A woman produces two Ksubas against her husband. Achosh HaMasayim, V'achosh HaShloshmeos, interesting case. One, Ksuba number one, is worth 200 Zos. Ksuba number two is worth 300 Zos. So what do we do with this? Vam Rafunach said, Right? If she wants to go ahead and use the first ksuba, she could collect as of the first date. If she wants to use the second ksuba, ultimately she could collect from the second date. In other words, we'll say, what does Rafuna seem to be saying? Rafuna seems to be indicating to us that she only has one ksuba. In other words, the same Rafuna who said before that as of the date of Erisin, she has a claim against Iker, Ksuva, and as a later date, she has a claim against Tosefes. Here, Rav Huna is saying if she produces two documents, she could collect one or the other. She can't collect both. She can't collect both. Look at, look at Rashi just a moment. She only has the right to collect one of these Ksuvos. The Yafek Kocha Ligbos Eiza the idea over here is, according to Rafuna, she has the ability to collect one of these two ksuvas. The im isa, I don't understand. But according to Rafuna, based on what they said before, tigbi masai mizman yishon, umeya mizman sheni. According to Rafuna's logic, why should she only be able to collect one ksuva? Right? According to what Rafuna said before, halacha she should be able to collect what? Either of the two. Because Rafuna said she collects Iker Ksuva when? When? As of Erosin. Tosefes as of Nisuin. So why is it any different than having two Ksuvas, one dated date, date one for 200, one dated date two for 300? She should be able to collect both. Yet Rafuna says she can only collect one. To which the Gemara says, Tigbi chamesh meos, right? Right? Kulam, masayim is manishon, tlas meam is mancheni. And again, the logic being she should collect 500. Let her collect both. Let her collect both. Ella, listen to this. Chamesh meos, my tamalogavi, this is fascinating. Why does, Skrintrafuna, why can't she collect 500? Right? Why, why, why? As, as of date number two, let her just collect a total of 500. Why can't she do that? Kevan de lo kasav lay, Savisi va'osifis lach tlas mea amasayim. So I will say, listen to this. How are these documents written? These documents are not written that I hereby give you a ksuva of 200, right? And now I'm also adding on a ksuva of 300. It doesn't say that. What does it say? How does, how does he write it? It's written as, here's a ksuva of 200 and here is a ksuva of 300. Two independent, unrelated documents. So watch this. So the Gemara says, 
אם זמן ראשון קוויאס, גוויאס, אם זמן ראשון גוויאס קוויאס, מוסאים, אם זמן שני גוויאס קוויאס תלסמיה. He will say what he's giving her is an either or. An either or. If you want to collect from the earlier date, here's a ksuba of 200. If you want to collect from a later date, here's a ksuba of 300. And I will say, see, here's what's interesting. Just so you understand what's happening over here, what is he trying to do? What is he trying to do? He's trying to incentivize her taking a later lien. See, I will say, it could very well be that he has to transact some business. He wants to go in and sell off some properties. So what he's saying to her is, look, you can take the earlier ksuba that's worth 200 and get an earlier lien, or you can take a later lien, I'll pay you more money, but this way, again, I have unencumbered properties for a longer amount of time. But in no way does he mean to give her 500 zuz. That's not what's happening over here. How do we know that? Because what we're gonna see in just a moment, when, when you write two shtaras and they're written in a way where they're both independent, essentially, they have no relationship to each other. Right? So that's what's happening over here. So therefore, in this case of Rav Huna, he's telling her this is an either or. I'm incentivizing you to take the later document. But if you want to take the earlier document, you can for a lesser amount. So to appear in this case, the reason why she doesn't collect both me, the low cost of law, Osifas Lacha Mea Amasayim Achule Achilta Lishibude Kama. So we'll say the same, the same idea over here, the same idea over here, that halacha lamaisa, any time that the husband doesn't write, I'm adding on to you, I'm adding on to you, essentially what he's saying is, you take your choice of which document you want. But if you want to take the second document, essentially what you're doing is what? Forgiving the lien on the first. So Amr Mar, Abbasin, now listen to this. Comes along Mar, and Mar is arguing on Rafuna. Look at Rashi. It's almost right across. It is right across. Amar Mar. Abbasin, three lines down. Amem Dalav Medalev. Amar Mar. Ad Rafuna Kai. So Abbasin, remember again. So here, here's where we are right now. We are with Imachlokis Rafuna and Rav Asi. Namely, we're trying to figure out at what point in time is Ksuva collectible. Right? And specifically, we're trying to figure out is if the husband has no assets and the wife has to seize assets from purchasers in order to satisfy her ksuba, as of what date, transactional date, can she seize property? So Rafuna makes a distinction between Iker ksuba and Tosefes. Iker as of Erosin, Tosefes as of Nisuin. Ravasi is saying essentially both as of when? Nisuin. Nisuin, which we'll say for our purposes is also going to be the date in the ksuba. So now comes along Mar, and Mar argues, look at Rashi, Amar Mar, Adraf Hunakai, Da Amar Imbasalik Bos Masain. So let's remember again. So now, Ravuna, Mar is coming to argue on Ravuna, and he says as follows So ultimately, again, if she wants to go at, she could, you, she could collect either from either one. In other words, if she wants to collect, the 100 from the one, I'm sorry, the Iker Ksuba from Irisin or the Tosefis from Nisuin, she has the ability to do that. She has the ability to do that. But I will say, but according to Mar, what is he adding over here? What is he, when, when he says, if she wants this one or that one, what is he essentially saying? She has both. But not, not both, yeah. right? In other words, it's, see, here's what's interesting. Rafuna was saying, she has both. She has both. 
there's just a different lean for both, right? In other words, the, the Iker has a lean as of Erisin, and the Tosefes has a lean as of Nisuin. Mar comes along and says, no, 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 she does not have both. She gets one or the other. So she has a choice, right? She could collect Iker, or she could collect Tosefes, to which the Gemara says, Lema Pligid Rav Nachman. This seems to argue on Rav Nachman. Why? What does Rav Nachman say? Dam Rav Nachman. I will say it's so interesting. Shnei shtaros hayotzin They will say what happens in the following case, right? You produce two documents. Shnei shtaros, right? Two documents, one after the other. What's the halacha? So the Gemara says hayotzin b'zeachazeh. Bito sheni es harishon. The second one negates the first. The second one against the first. And as we both say, so if you if it appears that you have two duplicative documents, right? Two blue two blue the second one negates the first. Okay, but we're gonna we're gonna put a little more meat on these bones. Love me say, did we not explain this? Amra Papa, Omodurav Nachman, Diosif Be Dikla Litosefes Kasve. said now there is a distinction. If the second document adds something that the first one did not have, then halacha lamaisa, they are both valid. They're both valid. So if you have two duplicative documents, the second one is valid, the first one is bottle, which makes sense because in other words, the emergence of the second document essentially says that there's something flawed in the first one. Otherwise, why is the second document being written? There's nothing new transactionally. There just must have been something wrong in that first document. Whatever was wrong, the eight, one of the eight days wasn't kasha, whatever, whatever the situation was, but the emergence of the second document negates the first. However, if the second document adds something to the first, then halach said they're both valid. So for example, again, his example of being Mosif is halach let's say, you know, in the first document, in the first document, Ruvain sold shim in the field. And in the second document, it says Ruvain sold shim in the field and a palm tree. So in that case, where the second document is adding something, the second document will be, val- will, will be, will be valuable as well, or will be valid as well. Hachanami, I don't understand. In this case, Hachanami, Ha'osif lo midi. See, I will say, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this case, right? Remember what's happening over here. He's also being Mosif. Right? What is the husband being Mosif? What is it? The Tosafes Ksuva. Because in this case over here, the first star, so to speak, or the first the first Hischaibis was the Iker, the second Hischaibis was the Tosafes. So let's analyze this. Gufa, Amr of Nachman, so Rav Nachman raised the Kasha, Shnei Shtaros Hayotzin B'Zeachazah, two documents come out one after the other. So what's Talacha? So the Gemara said, Bital Shnei Yasharishon. The second one, the second one negates the first one. In other words, we both say this is assuming that there are two duplicative documents. So we both say, so remember again, if you have two duplicative do, two, two duplicative documents, what's going to be the only distinction between them? I know that sounds like an oxymoron. Two duplicative documents. What's the difference? The date. And by the way, that's big, right? Why is that big? Because what does date do? What does date do? Date creates the lean, the shibud. So remember again, Abosai, so therefore, Rav Nachman is introducing a very interesting halacha. So you, you, you have a case where, you have a case where Ruven produces a document that says that he, or I should say, Shimon produces a document that says he purchased a field from Ruven. And he goes ahead and he produces two different documents. One is, one is, 
dated the 22nd of Av, and one is dated the 23rd of Av. They contain the same information. Rav Nachman says, the first, the first, second one is valid, the first one is invalid. Which Rabbi said then means that the lean, that the lean, that ultimately, again, Shimon will have against Ruvain is as of the 23rd of Av. Sahar Amra Papa, again, Umod Rav Nachman, the Osif Bey Dikle, Bey Zama Dikle, Lito Sefes Kasve. But Rav Nachman will agree that Halacha Lamaisa, if there's something additional in the second document, then ultimately, again, the second document was not there to replace the lean of the first, but rather was there to add something transactional. Now, I'll say, I'll point out, even if, why do they use the example of a palm tree? Because the sale of one palm tree, I, it sounds like, would have been insignificant. I know, like, I'd love to own one palm tree because uh, you know, I don't have any palm trees. But Lemaisa, Lemaisa, the Gemara uses that as even like an insignificant addition. In other words, so if you see that there is some type of addition, albeit insignificant, halacha Lemaisa, that will then give validity to what? To both documents. Right, so, so now I understand the lean is not trying to be replaced, but rather something being added transactionally. So the Gemara says as follows. Right, look at Rashi, by the way. You see Rashi? If something is being added by the second document, the second document is not coming to replace the first. It's coming to add on to the first. Okay, I'm sorry, that's actually going on, that's going on the piece before. To which the Gemara says, so Pshita, so we'll say, let's analyze this piece. Let's analyze this piece. So let's analyze. So we'll say, I'll just point out in the, in the Ksuba conversation, in the Ksuba conversation, so the way we would view these two documents through, through this lens, through this lens of, of Rav Nachman, uh, it, or I should say of, yeah, of, of, of Rav Nachman is as follows. Yeah, but say, Rav Nachman normally says that if you have two documents that are duplicative, the second overrides the first. Second overrides the first. So in, well, actually, let's, let's, let's keep to this. We'll go back to Ksuba in just a bit. So, so let's analyze. So Pshita, so the Gemara says, Pshita, Rishol Mechav Hashanim Matana. So let's say the following situation. Very interesting. Here's the case. Ruvain sells a field to Shimon. Ruvain sells a field to Shimon. Okay, they drop a document. All is good. There are two documents that are produced. Document number one is Mechar, is a sale document. Document number two, interestingly enough, is written that says that Reuven gifts the field to Shimon. So document number one is a sale document. Document number two is a gift document. Same field, same information, just first is a sale, second is a gift. So I will say, so now what, is, what, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? This is actually quite interesting. So the Gemara says, That works. Do you know why? What is the second? What is the second? What is the second document coming to do? This is fascinating. It's coming for what purpose? What, in other words, if Reuben already sold the field to Shimon, why would he also be writing a gift document? Because you will say, gift document is helpful. Why? Because of Dina de Bar Metzra. I both say, listen to this. Dina Jabbatzer says as follows. When you go ahead and you sell your property, your neighbors have right of first refusal. 
That's called Dina the Halacha the Bar Metzah. Bar Metzah is a neighbor. Is a neighbor, someone who, who borders you, which makes sense, right? Because if, again, my neighbors have right to first refusal, they have to pay, have to pay whatever I'm asking, right? They have right to first refusal because my property represents something unique to my neighbors, which they can't acquire anywhere else. And therefore, I both say, so let's say, again, Reuven wants to sell to Shimon. Shimon's not a neighbor. So Levi is Reuven's neighbor. So technically speaking, Levi, Levi should go ahead and get right of first refusal. However, there's one exception to this rule, which is if Reuven is gifting the property, to, and I'll say, what's the logic? The logic is because Levi, Reuven's neighbor, could say to Shimon, go buy a piece of property somewhere else. You don't, you don't have to buy this one. This one is not unique to you. This one, Levi says, is unique to me. Because why? Because why? It's my neighbor. It's my neighbor. However, if Ruvain is giving the property to Shimon as a gift that represents something unique to Shimon, right? Because he can't get a gift of property everywhere. And that would override the claim of Levi as a neighbor, as a bar mitzvah. So this is fascinating. So if you want to pull a little shtick, right, legal shtick, what you could do is like this. Write up a sale document, Ruvain to, to Shimon, and then write up a gift document. I'm giving it to you as a sale, but I'm also giving it to you as a gift. What does the gift document do that the sale document doesn't do? It prevents any of the neighbors from claiming the rights of Bar Metzra. Fascinating. Look at Rashi just a moment. Liafos Koho. Rashi says over here. Liafos Koho Kasvevi Inami Lo Osif Bey Lo Bitala Sarishon. So both say in this case, so the first document is where Ruben sold the field to Shimon. The second document is where Ruben is gifting the field to Shimon. That I will say, has Ruben added anything in document number two? Has he added anything? No. In other words, Shimon hasn't acquired anything new, but rather what Shimon has done is his rights to the field have been solidified. So here's a good example where document number two does not negate document number one. Both stand. Both stand. The Choshikin, all the more so the Gemara says, the Choshikin, Rishon b'matana, v'shin b'mechar. They both say, what if, what if Ruvain wrote the first document, as a matana, in the first document, he conveys a gift to Shimon, and in the second document, that's a document of sale. Why does that work? Darminar mishum dina de balchov hu de kasef kein. See, I will say, in that case, in that case, halach ala so remember again, if you already gifted it, then why does he sell it? Because I'll say, remember again, if you gift property to someone, Ruben gives property to Shimon, and then Ruben's creditors come and seize the property from Shimon, what recourse does Shimon have? Zero. It was a gift. Oh, but if Shimon is a purchaser, then what recourse does he have? Again, you can go back after Ruben for restitution. So therefore, I will say, if the first document was a gift document, Ruben gifted property to Shimon, and then he goes in and writes a document of sale. Of course, that works as well because that gives Shimon that gives Shimon recourse in a situation where creditors seize the property. Look at Rashi Din and the Bachov. The Asi Bachov v'Tarif Lemine Kabel Alav Achrayes. Essentially, what's happening over here is by writing a document of sale, Reuven is accepting Achrayes responsibility to make Shimon whole should the property be seized. So the Gemara says. Good. So the Gemara says, However, if Ruvain wrote two documents of sale to Shimon, or two doc- gift documents to Shimon, in other words, if he wrote the same transaction, 
in two different documents, then what? Then we say, the second document negates the first. My time, what's the reason? Rafram Amar, Amar Oduye Odile. So Rafram says it's because Halacha Lamaisa So again, so let, let's, let's just analyze what we have over for just a second. So this is the sheet of Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman essentially says if you have two duplicative documents, two duplicative documents, what's the halacha? Second one stands, first one is bottle. However, if they're not duplicative, let's say the first one was a sale, second one was a gift. They're both valid. Why? Because the second one adds, in other words, second one adds something. Or if the first one was a gift, second one was a sale, second one adds something. Essentially, Rav Nachman Shita is, whenever the second document adds something transactional, then both documents stand. Now the Gemara goes back. Okay, so why is it, when they're both duplicative documents, that Halacha the second one is bottle? Why, why, why is that? So it says, well, listen to this. So right from Amar, Amar aduye odile. Look at Rashi. What does that mean, aduye odile? Rashi says, Balashtar Sharisha Mazuyev Haya, Venezuela Allah Achadik Bosizashemi. It will say, because if you wrote a document, Ruben sold the field to Shimon, he wrote a document, and then they write another duplicate do, do, duplicative document, where Ruben essentially is saying is, there's something wrong in the first time. It was forged, the ADMR, not kosher. Whatever it is, the only reason to write a second duplicative document is because there was something fundamentally wrong with the first. That's Raphram. Ravacha Amar Amar Achuli Achle Lishibude. Second possibility is that for some reason, for some reason, the Shibud in the first document was forgiven. Was forgiven. Whatever the Metzias is. So my ben Arbosa, what's the nafkamina between them? Ikabenayu Aruye Sahadi. Right? So the nafkamina would be whether or not the witnesses who signed on the first document are considered to be invalid witnesses. According to Rafram, they are. According to Rav Acha, they're not. Second possibility, the Shalume Piri. Let's say, let's say again, the first document says that Reuben sold the field to Shimon. So now Shimon consumed produce between transaction one and transaction two. Does he have to repay that produce consumed? That's an afkamina. Or the Tasca. But say, last afkamina would be who has to pay property taxes. Right? Who has to pay the property taxes in between document number one and document number two? So my hobby, Allah. Let's get back to basics over here. Remember again, say, how do we get, as interesting as this is, and say, now you begin to see why Ksubis, again, is called Shas Katan, because everything is in here, but let's get back to our regularly scheduled program, right? In other words, what, what is it that we're trying to figure out over here? We're all about Ksubis. We're all Ksubis all the time. In other words, say, Salah Kalamaisa, I have two questions going on over here. Number one, number one, when is Ksubis collectible as of? Right? That, that's really what we're about. We have Machokis Rafun and Rabasi. Ravuna said, Iker Ksuva is from the time of Erosin. Tosephus is from Nisuin. Ravasi said, everything is collectible only from Nisuin. What is the halacha? This is very, forget about two documents, Ruben and Shimon selling fields. Ksuva, Rabosai, is my simbachol yom. When is Ksuva collectible as of? To which the Gemara says, my habiyala, my habiyala the Ksuvasa. So Tasha, the Rabbi Yudam, Shmuel, Mishra, Allah, Rabbi Shimon, Monoma Simon Erison, Vito Sephis Minani Suin. So you have again Rabbi, the same name as Shmuel, the name of Allah's Rabbi Shimon. So again, Monoma Simon Iker Ksuva is collectible as of Erison, Tov Sephis from Nisuin, Vecham the Chom say no, no, Echadzevi Echadzeminani Suin. Both Tov Sephis and Iker is from Nisuin, and the Gemara says, Helchasal, what's Talvacha? Echadzevi Echadzeminani Suin. How do we pass in Allah for Mysa? The Gemara says, 
Both the Iker and the Tosefes is collectible as of the time of Nisuin. And I will say, this is indeed how the Rambam Paskins as well. The Rambam Hilchos Ishus, Perek Yud, Halacha Yud Aleph says as follows. The Rambam say, there is an interesting caveat. Listen to this. Here's, the, here's how the Rambam writes Halacha. Hama'aris es ha'isha v'kasav la'ksuva. If a man does irisin and writes a ksuva for his wife, for his wife, ultimately, again, the first thing the Rambam says is that the writing of a ksuva does not affect nisuin. However, v'meis al-girsha gove ikra ksuva sunechorin ve'ena gove ktosefes klal hovelokansa. So therefore, if he dies in Erisin and they never do Nisuin, Halach says she could collect Tosefa, uh, excuse me, Iker Ksuva. She could collect the primary amount if it's first marriage, one, uh, 200 second marriage, 100, that's the Halacha. That's the Halacha. However, the Ramam says, if a man does Erisin but did not write a, but did not write a Ksuva, and then he dies, Halach saw she has nothing. She has nothing. So the first thing I will say the Ramam is teaching us is, that erusin by itself does not generate a ksuva obligation. If a husband obligates himself to a ksuva, okay, you can obligate, you can obligate yourself to whatever you want. But lamaisa erusin by itself does not generate does not generate a ksuva obligation. Obligation, right? However, again, I both say salach lamaisa, halach lamaisa, shalot tiknu la ikur ksuva at shetinase at so again, if a man does not proactively obligate himself to ksuva, when does the ksuva obligation kick in? Both for Iker as well as whatever Tosafis you, you, you want to promise, when does that kick in? Nisuin. So we'll say that's how he, that's how he passes. You can obligate yourself from Erisin, but let's assume we're not talking about when does ksuva become an enforceable obligation from the wife to the husband? As the Gemara says, as the Rabbim says, as of Nisuin. Both for Iker as well as Tosafes, unless, of course, a husband writes otherwise. Can I remember again? You can obligate yourself to another person for whatever you want, but assuming you have not, of your own volition, obligated yourself as of Nisun as when you're obligated in Ksuba. Incredible. Says the Mishnah. So I'll say, interesting case here. Hagiores Shinis Gaira Bita Ima. If you have a woman who converted along with her daughter, Vizinsa, and the daughter, the daughter was Mizana. Now, this is the case, this is the case of Na'ara Hamurasa, a girl, a Na'ara, who has irisin, who engages in adultery. So Rabbi said, the halacha is, this girl, this girl ultimately again, is killed by skila. That's the halacha case of Na'ara Hamurasa. So Rabbi said, now listen to this. So here is a girl who converted along with her mother. The girl right converted, now she had irisin. She had Erisin, and now she was Mazana. She was Mazana. What's that, Lacha? Harezu Bechanek. Ultimately, and she's not killed with Skila, like a regular Nara Murasa, but rather she's killed with Chanek. Now, the reason for that is we're going to see because she is a Gioras. She's a girl, she's a convert. Look at Rashi. Harezu Bechanek. Vafilu Niskara Pechusim Baskimoshanan Bechaskas Besulihi. The Hiksiva Skila Benara Murasa. We're going to see the Allah of Na'ara Ha'me'urasa, which is a specific case in the Torah of a Na'ara, who is a Basula, who has Erisin, who committed adultery, is a din in a girl who is born Jewish. Right? Not a Gioras. So therefore, again, if the girl is a Gioras, is a Na'ara, 
of a sula and has erosin, that's called adultery. So she's killed with chanak, not with skila. So the Gemara said, furthermore, the, so furthermore, ain la vizin sarez of chanak, ain la lo pesach beisav yaav. Furthermore, so we're going to see that the halacha is by the nara meurasa. She is stoned by the entranceway of her father's home. So this girl, in this, in this case over here, right, is not stoned by her father's home. She's a gyores, so she doesn't have a halachic father. Right? And again, if it turns out to side that the husband lied about this whole thing, she didn't commit adultery, her father doesn't get the 100 sella payment. So essentially what this is saying is, just, just to outline this a bit, there is a case in the Torah of Na'araham Urasa Shazinsa. So this is a girl, this is a girl who is a Na'ara, 12 to 12 and a half, a Basula, and a Jewish girl who has Arisen. She commits adultery with another man. The Torah says, what's the halacha? She is stoned at the entranceway of her father's home. That's the halacha. So by the way, and if it turns out that her husband lied about her, that she didn't commit adultery, then the husband has to pay the father a, a, a fine of 100, of 100 ma. Right, so I will say again, I'm sorry, of 100 sella, 100 sella. So the first case in the Mishnah is a girl is a Gioras. So a girl is a Gioras who's, who, who is a Nara, who is betrothed, ultimately has committed adultery. If she did commit adultery, she's killed with Chenek and not with any of these other items. Fine. So I will say, let's say she was conceived before her mother converted. But then by the time she, but she, but then her mother converted during pregnancy. So this girl is born to a Jewish mother. What's the halacha? What's the halacha? She is a, then when this girl is born, she's a regular Jewish girl. Because she's a regular Jewish girl, therefore what? She is subject to the regular halacha of na'arahan me'urasa. So indeed, if she's a na'ara, who is a basula, who is me'urasas, and commits adultery, she is killed with skila. Now, in this case, she's not going to be stoned by the entrance of her father's home. Why not? Why not? Because she doesn't have a halachic father. And ultimately, again, if it turns out that the husband is lying, he doesn't pay the hundred sela because, once again, there's no halachic father. If she was conceived by a Jewish mother, right, and birthed by a Jewish mother, then ultimately she's just a regular Jew. And therefore, she's like a Basi Sra in all aspects. Therefore, therefore, let's say she has a father, but her father doesn't have a house. Or there's a house, but her father died. Ultimately, again, the punishment of Nara HaMuras will still apply to her. Lo ne'amar Pesach Beisa'ab Elul HaMitzvah. Because we'll say the idea of stoning her by the entrance to her father's home was only said, quote-unquote, for the mitzvah. How to, how to fulfill the death sentence of the Chathila, but is not Ma'ake. So if I will say what we are introduced to over here in this Mishnah is the following halacha. The Nara HaMuras is a girl who is a Nara, who is a Basula, who is now in a state of Erosin. And is accused of having, uh, uh, accused of committing adultery. Accused of committing adultery. So, if indeed she has committed adultery, there is a unique halacha that says she is stoned by the entranceway of her father's home. Why is this unique? Because normally adultery is punishable by chenek, by strangulation, and not by stoning. This is different. This is different. Or introduced to at the end of the Mishnah is if she doesn't have a father or father doesn't have a home, those pieces are not ma'akev. Excuse me, not ma'akev. However, what the Mishnah does introduce us to is that in order for this to occur, this has to be a girl who is born Jewish. 
that would not apply to a girl who is a Gioras. Good. Amud Bey. So we'll say, let's analyze. So we'll say, how do I know this? How do I know this? Now, specifically, what the Gemara is asking over here, if you look at the Tav Rashi, Minahanimili, Shorasa Shalobik Dusha, Veledasa Bikdusha Biskila. How do I know that a case where Halacha Lamaisa, she was conceived while her mother was not Jewish, but by the time her mother gave birth to her, the mother was Jewish? How do I know that Halacha Lamaisa, the din of Na'araha Me'urasa, as we pointed out in Mishnah, still applies to her? Amrishal Nishtamakra, Umesa. From the word of God, say, Umesa is written in an elongated form. Right? It could have just said, Rashi says over here, The Torah says that all of the townspeople will stone her, and she'll die. What, what, yeah, that's, that's the point. In other words, kind of after you write that the entire town stones her, it's pretty indicative that she's going to die. The umesa, the umesa is unnecessary. What does umesa come to teach us? Umesa, the rabbos, harasa shalobik dusha, veleidasa dusha. So what's like umesa is coming to include an additional case. What's the additional case? Of a girl who was conceived by a non-Jewish mother, but ultimately, again, who was born to a Jewish mother. Ihachi, if that's the case, milka nami milki, umea sela nami l'shali. If that's the case, then ultimately, if the husband is lying, he should be subject to Malchus and have to pay the 100 selah. Amar Kra, the Pasuk says, Umesa lemisa nisraba falo leknas. Very interesting. Apparently, apparently, this particular girl who was conceived by an Jewish mother and birthed to a Jewish mother, for the death penalty, that she's included. But for the other pieces, she is not. The Emel Rabos, Horasa Bleidasa Bekedusha, say comes to include the case of a girl who was conceived by a Jewish mother and birthed to a Jewish mother. Well, if you're conceived by a Jewish mother and birthed by a Jewish mother, you're what? You're just a regular Jew. Right? Havu Yisraelis Ma'al Yosehi. That's just a regular Jewish woman. I maybe it comes to include a girl who is conceived and birthed to a non-Jewish mother and then converts in Cain, be Israel, be Israel, my Ahanila. See, the operative phrase over here that's happening is that the Torah phrases this process as happening be Israel, be Israel. Now, why does the Torah have to say that this procedure is unfolding be Israel? That's obvious. This is the Torah. It's the halacha that's given to Israel. So, be Israel, the Gemara's understanding to mean that halacha la the halach, ah, you know what, I forgot to do the Ramam. Okay, I forget to it. Fine. So, B. Yisrael comes to teach you that halach says only applies to a girl who was born Jewish. B. Yisrael means she's born Jewish. If she converts, this process does not apply to her. I will say now, again, I want to be clear. When we say the process doesn't apply to her, so remember again, adultery is adultery is adultery if you're Jewish. The difference over here is the case of Na'ra Urasa is a very specific case of a man who, is, who has irisin to a nara, who is a basula, he's claiming she committed adultery. If he's right, she experiences skila, which is unique thing number one, because normally adultery is punished by chenek, strangulation, so she skila. And where is she stoned? By the entranceway of her father's home. So, I say, so the Gemara is just saying, to this unique halacha, be Israel teaches me, it only applies to a girl who's born Jewish, not to a gioris. So it's interesting. Was what the following case? 
Let's say a man goes ahead and is multi shameless. So both say, so he's married to this girl. He's married to this girl, or he gets married to this girl, and he claims he claims that she is not a basula. This is a case of multi shame. Like a man gets married, claims get married first time. She's not a basula. Now both say, let's say he's making this claim against a yisola, and it turns out that he's lying. So I'll say, generally, what's the when you make a claim, uh, when, when you're Moti Shemra? Ultimately, again, generally, the, the halacha is you have to pay a fee, a fine, to the father. He's never allowed to divorce the wife. So in this case, he's part of Because the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, generally, again, right, the penalty is 100 meah kesef, 100 kesef, you have to pay to the father. But over here, what? Over here, there's no father. Prat she'en la'av. Massive Rabbi Yossi Bar Avin, Vitin Rabbi Yossi Bar Zvida. So Rabbi Yossi Bar Avin also Rabbi Yossi Bar Zvida raised the kasha. Vimain Yimain Avia. So both say. Remember again, these are all. This is all the same. These are, so the pasuk over here says Vimain Yimain Avia Lasita Lo Kesef Yishkol Kimar Habesulos. So both say. So this is the case of Onis and Mefata, right? So let's say again, going back a little bit to our previous sugyas of seduction or violation. Let's say the father does not want his daughter to marry this guy. So if the father refuses, the rabbos is soma liknas. And we'll say this comes to this comes to go ahead and and include the soma for knas. Now we'll say now what what does this mean? What does this mean? So we'll say so interestingly enough, Rabbi Yosei says What does he learn from this? See, Rabbi say when you look at this pasuk. You would assume the only time you get to Knas is when? When there's a father, right? Because the Pasuk says if the father doesn't want to marry the girl off to this guy, then he gets the Knas. So it sounds like it's only if the father does If there's no father, there's no Knas. No. The double Ashnab Ma'in Yima'in tells us whoever refuses. Whoever refuses. If it's the father who refuses, or even if it's the girl, let's say there's no father, and the girl herself refuses, Halacha so she gets the Knas. What do you see from here? That even when there is no father, there is still a kinas to be paid. To which the Gemara says, Could be the case here, Abbas, I could be that that the case of violation or the case of seduction occurred when there was a father alive and the father died subsequently. Father died subsequently. So, so therefore, maybe that case is not a good raya. Now, I will just point out over here that, well, actually, we'll see, we'll see the halacha in a bit. Oh, we don't really have a bit, but okay, let's do one more line. I'll tell you the Rav Amrav says, Chayiv. Rav says, not true. If you're Motsi Shemra on a Yisoma, so we'll say, so remember again, this is the case of a man who's married to Yisoma. He's claiming that she's not a Basula. It turns out that he lied, that he lied. And therefore, the Torah says, if you lie about such a thing, you owe a fine of 100 Selah. So Rav says, even if there is no father, you're still obligated to pay the fine. Mimai, meditani ami, ami said, besulas Yisrael, below besulas geirin. Ultimately, I was like, this, what, was the, what was the drasha? The drasha was, besulas Yisrael, below besulas geirin. Now take a look at Rashi. Meditani ami, kiyotzi, shemra, besulas Yisrael, below besulas geirin. Vah besulas geirin, yisomahi. Now I was saying, and here's what's interesting. The fact that you exclude, the fact that you exclude besulas geirin, and watch this. If you say that the equivalent case of, of Yisrael is Chayiv, every single Gioras is effectively what? Is, interesting, is effectively what? 
a Yisoma. Right? Why? Why? Because she has no Havachic father. See, if you say the parallel case by Yisrael is Chayiv, that's why I need a Pasuk ultimately to exclude Geir. But if you say that a Yisoma, who is the Yisraelis, is Peturah, Hashta be Yisrael Potter begerim boy. Then I will say if you're going to be if you're going to be Potter in a case of Yisrael, it goes without saying. In a case of Gerim, you'll be Potter as well. Whereas I will say so. Therefore, Allah Chalamai. So Rabbi says it must be that in a case of Motzi Shemra, Motzi Shemra on a on a Yisoma that you are going to be Chayiv. And I will say that is indeed. I'll just point out because it never begins a new suya. That is indeed halacha l'maisa had the Rambam paskins in Hilchos not Rabbi Sula halacha Gimel Perakim halacha Alf. Listen to this: Hamotzi Shemra Bas Yisrael v'Nimsa Davar Shaker. We'll say if you go ahead and a man gets married to a woman, he claims that she's not a Basula. That's called Motzi Shemra, and it turns out that he's lying. What's the halacha? Loke, right? He goes in first. He gets Malchus. He gets Malchus. Now he's to get Malchus. And he has to pay the father. He has to pay the father. So we'll say, what if she's a Yisoma? What if she's a Yisoma? Watch this. If she's a Yisoma, you still have to pay. You still have to pay. Who gets the money? Who gets the money? Ultimately, again, she gets the money. We'll stop over here for today. Shkoyach. Pack day, pack day, Baruch Hashem. All right, have on Zoom. Shkoyach, everyone. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos.